The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, and Abiad the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your scripture. Thank you for this very real record full of of humanity, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we have the privilege to learn from it, Lord. Thank you for just how you are fully God and fully human. Thank you for your son who died on the cross for us, Lord. And we thank you for this this season of Advent where we we gather to celebrate um, just in remembering your birth and the beautiful love that you have given to humanity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Janie. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Randall. And if you're wondering why the sound went out during the video, it was me in the back. I tripped on a wire back there, and it, it apparently was very important. So thank you, tech team, for all that you do. And I'm glad that Janie was back here because she was able to identify what was unplugged. And so... Um, it all worked out. It all worked out. Uh, but I'm also uh, grateful, you know, for this morning, for uh, it being Give Sunday. One of the things that we believe as a church is we're not here for ourselves, but we're here for others. And so just this opportunity to continually give with the heart of Christ, uh, I'm thankful for that. And the thing I pray for is this, uh, Lord, help me to be obedient to what you're asking me to give, right? Like, at the end of the day, I believe that God owns everything. And so if he goes, hey, Randall, over there, I need you to let go of that. That I, I want to be obedient to that. And so that's what this is, right? It's an act of obedience and just worship to Jesus, trusting him. And so uh, we're excited to see what he does through that. Now, we're, we've been in this series of Advent uh, and where we've been looking at and anticipating uh, the arrival of Jesus. And, and many times during the season, we, we look at the past and we remember what God has done, that God came, right? God came, and, and so God with us was born into the world, human flesh, like you and me, and endured the pains and the difficulties of this world and eventually was uh, crucified, died for our sins. Uh, that's what we believe as Christians. But also, we, we, we believe that this isn't the end of the story, that we don't just look at Advent, God's appearing, coming, uh, but it's what, what, what I would say, and I heard as an illustration this week, I thought it, it made sense. Jesus came, and that was the down payment and the promise that he's coming again. How did he pay? Paid with his life. Paid with his life. He says, I'm coming. That's the down payment. I'm coming again. I want to make all things new. I want to make things right. But what do you do in the gap? Right? The gap of Jesus coming and Jesus coming again 
and believing that all things are going to be made new. They're going to be made right in this world. Well, this text today, I believe, really helps us. We've been looking at the genealogy of Jesus, and, and we're, we're in Matthew 11, and we're looking at uh, verses 11 through 16. But in this text, uh, what we're going to see is that there is a waiting period. And so the message today is learning through silence. Learning through silence. In our culture, the word silence has become almost a negative term, right? Uh, we, we associate silence with awkward, uncomfortable. Uh, that's what we usually associate with silence because it makes us feel a little uneasy when things are just a little too quiet. See, noise is a constant in our culture. Uh, a ringtone, TV in the background, headphones in. Silence, again, is something that we don't have very often these days. But research has shown that we need silence. Uh, 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 there was an article entitled, uh, Why Silence is Good for the Brain. It gave four uh, scientifically proven reasons for, for why silence is good. It says silence relieves stress and tension. Silence replenishes our mental resources. In silence, we can tap into our brain's default mode, network, uh, contemplative thinking. Uh, getting quiet can uh, renew our brain cells. Uh, a doctor, Dr. Helen Lees, in a film, The Pursuit of Silence, says, a silence re returns us to what is real. You might feel out of control because when silence circulates, it makes you that much more aware that you're not in control. So to, it puts people against a wall and says, this is you, and you're human, and you're existing right now, and this is your reality. Do you like it? And often people say, no. So they don't want to know that their moment is uncomfortable. See, when we start to slow down, and we think about this season of Advent, we have to understand that there were people who lived in the genealogy of Jesus, the family lineage of Jesus, that lived with this deafening silence of, is God going to come? Is he going to rescue us? Is he going to come through? See, what do we do when God is silent? When God is silent. In his book, A Grief Observed, C.S. Lewis tells us about an experience of silence he had while in grief after the death of his wife, Joy. He says this, Where is God? When you are happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing him, so happy that you were tempted to feel his claims upon you uh, as an interruption. If you remember yourself and, and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face? A sound of bolting or double bolting on the inside? After that silence, you may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. There, there are no lights in the windows. It, it might be an empty house. Was it ever inhabited? It seemed so once, and that seeming 
was as strong as this. What can this mean? Why is he so present, a commander in our time of prosperity, and so very absent, a help in our time of trouble? God reminded me that the same thing seems to have happened to Christ. Why has thou forsaken me? I know. Does that make it easier to understand? To think of the reality that silence is a part of our journey, your journey, my journey in following God. See, we will all have experiences where it feels like God is silent. And in the genealogy of Jesus, we see how God works through the silence. He works through the silence. And maybe what he's saying to us is that spiritually, we need that silence as well to get to a new place, to understand a little bit more. So our text is in Matthew 1. And just to give some background, I'm going to give a lot of extensive background here because we need to understand the historical ramifications of this. But in history... We find that before Jesus entered the world, uh, God was intentionally silent for 400 years. Um, This is called the intertestamental period. And so if you have this Matthew right here, and you got this little page right here in between the Old Testament and the New, um, this is 400 years right here, okay? Okay. This right here is 400 years. We think it's, oh, it just happens instantaneously. No, this is 400 years, and this is 400 years of silence that began with a warning that uh, closed out the Old Testament. Here's what it is. Malachi 4, 5 through 6. Behold, I am going uh, to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Now, what we see here in history is that this was the coming of John the Baptist who prepared the way for Jesus. And so John the Baptist was first, cousin of Jesus came, uh, Jesus comes after, but he prepares the way. Now, at the time of Malachi's uh, warning, about 430 BC, the, the Jews returned to Israel from the Babylonian exile. But this is important. They weren't on their own. They were still ruled by the Medo-Persian Empire, uh, still ruled over by them, and and the temple at that point had been rebuilt for them. But both the law law and the the priesthood of Aaron, uh, they were all restored, and so we see that in the Old Testament. Uh, But what we find is that in in Malachi, uh, the Jews at that point were mistreating their wives. Uh, They were not tithing and giving. That the priests were neglecting the temple and not teaching the people the word of God. So they had gone far off and were completely disobeying God. Now, fast forward to 47 BC, before Jesus is born. uh, Caesar... Uh, Roman Caesar installed Antipater, who was a descendant of Esau. So if you remember um, the story of Jacob and Esau, well, this is the lineage of Esau that was put in place here. Um, And so uh, at that point, Antipater uh, 
chose his two sons to be king. Uh, one to be king over Galilee, one to be king over Judea. And so as the New Testament begins right here, Antipater's son, Herod the Great, uh, is in place as king. We remember that Herod the Great is the one who wanted to erase or eradicate Jesus. And at that point, the priesthood had become more about politics um, than anything. It became uh, two factions, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Now, between the time of Malachi and the coming of Jesus, several prophecies had come and were fulfilled. Um, but the people ignored the fulfilled prophecies. And they continued to disobey, and they wasted 400 years that they were given to study the Scripture and seek God. Psalm 43 and 44 told them that they were supposed to seek God to prepare for the coming Messiah. But ultimately, what happened was they ignored God's warnings and hardened their hearts so much so that the nation, when the Messiah finally came, they didn't even recognize him. They couldn't, they couldn't accept that there would be a humble Messiah. But if, if they'd studied the scripture like Zechariah 9.9, Isaiah 6.10, they would have known that God was going to send a humble Savior, a lowly Savior, not the one on the high horse that they thought. So lastly, after 400 years, God broke through the silence with the cries of a baby. God did the unthinkable God became man. The humble Messiah, Jesus, is Emmanuel. God with us. God with us. God breaks the silence through the cry of a baby. And so how did God speak to the people before Jesus' birth in the silence? How is he trying to prepare them? How is he trying to help them to listen? Uh, he chose to speak through uh, a few ways, and we're going to see it in the text here as we start to break down the lineage. The first one is significant loss. The second is steadfast hope. The third is simple people. Significant loss, steadfast hope, simple people. So the first one is significant loss. Look at verse 12. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheltiel, and Sheltiel the father of Zerubbabel. So as we look at this text, what was lost when they were taken into exile? Well, they lost their king. Their king eventually dies in exile. They lost their kingdom. They lost really their collective identity, even though they were encouraged not to in Jeremiah 29. They lost their collective identity. They weren't able to do it on their own strength. But along their way, there was also personal loss. Yes, they lost the way things used to be. They were timid and afraid of going into exile, even though God said he would be with them. But they lost their personal freedom. And what happens is in the midst of this exile, there was personal pain that started to come into their life. And they didn't have any prophets to help them through those 400 years. Psalm 137, verses 8 through 9 says this, O daughter of Babylon, 
doomed to destruction. Blessed is he who repays you as you have done to us. Listen to this. Blessed is he who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Do you want to know what happened to them as they were in exile? Some of the Babylonian soldiers would take their most vulnerable, their infants, and smash them against the rocks. The pain of loss as they experience this. Right, the exile. God, where are you? C.S. Lewis later said that, that, that God whispers in our pleasures but shouts in our pain. Shouts. See, the world wasn't as it was meant to be. And they were coming under a kingdom and a rule that was abusive and hurtful. And they were carrying that as they wrote the imprecatory psalms like Psalm 137 as they're holding this deep in their hearts saying this isn't how it's supposed to be. This is not how it's supposed to be. Second, there was a steadfast hope. In the midst of the significant loss, there was still a steadfast hope because look at verse 13. It's Zerubbabel, the father of uh, Abiad, and Abiad, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor. So here's the thing. As we studied through, what we've seen is that there's good kings, there's bad kings, there's, there's good leaders, there's bad leaders. But after we see uh, Jeconiah, who was not a good king, we see later at the end here, as they're coming out of exile, there's Zerubbabel. And this is, this is important because they needed hope as they were returning. Right, like you need hope when, to know that it's not the end of the story, that the end of the story is not what they had to experience in Psalm 137, but that there's going to be something better, even though there's still that silence. A commentator on this text, Michael uh, Wilkins, says, um, after the return of Israel from the exile, the Davidic line continues through Jeconiah. Apparently, Jeconiah died in Babylon during the exile. He was a wicked king. And his evil was so great that Jeconiah, or Jeremiah's blistering prophecy declared that none of his offspring will prosper. None will sit on the throne of David or rule anymore in Judah. Later, Jeconiah fathered Sheltiel, who in turn fathered Zerubbabel, the leader of the first group allowed to return to Israel from the exile. Zerubbabel was the governor of Judah under the Persian king Darius I and is held in high esteem as a man of renown in Jewish tradition. Here's the thing. In the midst of the hurt and the pain, God sends them back with a godly man, with a godly leader. Right, with somebody that, that was going to stand for God in the midst of the difficulties and the trials that they've seen in the past. And this is the hope that the journey isn't over. They're still holding on to hope that there's something beyond the pain. The Israelites aren't left in ruin in exile, but there's still hope for a Messiah. And so where does this Messiah come from? It's the last point, simple people. Look at Matthew 1, 16. 
And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. Now what we see here in the book of Matthew is that Matthew is tracing this lineage all the way to Joseph. In the book of Luke, Luke traces the lineage back to Mary. But what we see here that's really important is, and we have to ask this question, is how did Jesus come? How did he come? Through simple people. His coming was in the most unlikely way, through the powerless. Joseph, we find, is is just a blue-collar worker. Mary is a teenage girl. Think about this. God chose to speak through a baby in a barn, not a king in a castle. And if we think about a baby, you can't get any more vulnerable than a baby. Right? We think about the babies and the infants that were dashed upon the rocks as they were going into exile. But yet God says, I will become a baby and and, and come in a way that is powerless. God came near. Luke 2, 7 says Jesus was born. John 4, 6 says that he grew tired. John 19, 28 says that he grew thirsty. Matthew 4, 2 says he was hungry. He became physically weak, Matthew 4, 11. He died, Luke 23, 46. Here's the thing. God became powerless so that we could experience his grace. To know that God could come near to us. See, what this tells us is it tells us a little something about the gospel, about the message of Christianity. Here's what it tells us. It tells us that God is not the man upstairs saying, get your act together and come up these stairs as quick as you can. He's the God who came down the stairs and is God with us. He says, he doesn't say, hey, you need to come to me. But he says, I'm coming to you. How's he going to do it? Do something that's relatable. Simple. Simple people. And so, here's what it teaches us. It teaches us that through the gospel, the way that we approach God is not through handing him our resume and saying, look at all the things I've accomplished, God. Aren't you going to choose me? But it's taking our weakness and saying, God, could you meet me in this place? It's admitting weakness, approaching him humbly, not with a resume, but coming simply. And so what can we learn in the silence? as we experience pain, as we experience difficulty, as we, we look at our lives and we say, God, how could, how could it come to this? Are you still there? Well, what can, we can learn is the number one, the a takeaway is this. God's silence does not equal absence. God's silence does not equal absence. Did God suddenly stop becoming God in the 400 years of silence? In this page right here, did he stop becoming God? No. He was still God. 
And so God was there during those 400 years. And here's the encouragement for us today. That God is there during your moments of silence. God is closer than you think. He's closer than you think. Psalm 130, verses 1 through 2. Say, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. This is somebody experiencing what they feel like is just the, the, the distance from God, the silence. Like, are you still there? But I love the Psalms because you get to the end of the Psalm and here's what he's saying. Psalm 130, verses 5 through 7. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I hope. My soul clings, or my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. Starts out with cries of, of God, do you hear me? But ends with God, you're with us. God, you're still there. God, I'm holding on, but I, I don't know how to hold any longer. And then you realize that he was holding on to you the whole time. God's not absent in the midst of that silence. And he wasn't absent in the midst of the silence that we see here through the lineage of Jesus. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Second point. God's silence has a goal. God's silence has a goal. Right? There's a greater good that he is doing. There's a greater good. If God seems silent, he may be calling you to lean into him. Because here's the thing. If God can see everything, it says, this is actually the best thing. Could we believe that he actually sees and knows better than we do? Could we lean in during those moments where God's silence says, hey, I have a greater goal that I'm trying to achieve in your life. See, it's continuing to pray when you don't feel like praying. It's continuing to read God's word even when you don't feel like reading that morning. God will build a resilience in you that can only be shaped through the silence. Through the silence. I said this before, but if you look at somebody who's, who's been shaped by God in, in real and tangible ways, and, and, you, and, you, and you look at their lives, you say, how did you become so like patient? How did you become... Uh, so generous how did you become like this for every journey there's going to be a shaping process that happens and many times it's just that continual pursuit of coming back again and again and saying god i don't i don't know quite what to do next but i i i believe that you're still there i i believe that you're still with me and i believe that there's a greater good that you're doing here than what i can see see as jesus is born What gets me, and we sang it about it this morning, is that the, the, the goal, the greater good for him, was actually that he would give his life. 
That was his greater good. And, and the fact that Jesus endured the ultimate silence so that you and I could be heard when we cry out in our silence. Right, right. He hears us through it all. In Micah 5 2, it was written 700 years before Jesus' arrival. This text tells us specifically how God would speak. It tells us specifically that he would speak through his son. He would speak through his son. Micah 5 2 says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Friends, do you hear that? Do you hear that? Bethlehem, the city of David, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. You're forgotten about. From you shall come forth for me, one who's to be ruler in Israel. What's the end goal? Is that as you got sent back from exile, there was going to be one who's going to be seated on the throne. It's not King Herod. It's not King Herod. It's not going to be placed there by man and what man thinks. No, it's going to be the king will be placed by God, and God will be the ruler you've always been waiting for, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. It wasn't God's plan B. Jesus was God's plan A. And he is the one who speaks to us through the silence. When you feel like, God, are you still there? God, could you love me? Remember the down payment. Remember the down payment. Remember what it cost. That he came, he paid the way. So that in the midst of our silence, in the midst of our struggles, as we wait for Jesus to come again, we can know it's, it's already been paid for. I have hope today in the midst of my silence because of Jesus. Let's remember that. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that through, throughout history, You've shown yourself to be true, to be faithful, to be good. And we pray, Lord, that we will, in our moments of silence, maybe it's, it's spiritually, where we just feel like I, I, it's hard to, it doesn't, maybe it doesn't feel like the season or, or something's off. It just doesn't feel right, Lord. It's not our feelings, but we look to your promises. And that your promises never fail. And that you've held true to your promise from the very beginning. And that as we look through history, the history of your word, that we can look at the history of our lives and see that the same God who was there then is in our lives now. May we find joy and hope in that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. 
Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.